Chapter Fifteen of Quiet Hints to Growing Preachers in My Study. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Quiet Hints to Growing Preachers in My Study by Charles Edward Jefferson. Chapter Fifteen. Autocracy. A witty New Englander has given the world a fascinating sketch of the autocrat at the breakfast table, but no one has yet given us a full-length portrait of the autocrat of the communion table. The communion table is used in this connection as a symbol of clerical prerogative. No one can touch it but a minister. Not even lay officials can take the bread and wine until they have passed through clerical hands. There is here a distinguishing distinction which lifts the minister above his brethren, and all distinctions, however justifiable and necessary, have a tendency to feed the pope which comes into the world with every man. The environment of a clergyman contains abundant nutriment for the nourishment of the papal proclivities of human nature. Not only is there a gulf between clergy and laity worn broad and deep in popular thought by the teaching of a thousand years, but a minister's work is of such a nature as constantly to give him the sense of importance and authority. Does he not speak for God? Is he not a successor of the apostles? Has not a sacred charge been entrusted to his keeping? The very dignity of his work gives him a lofty-mindedness, which easily passes into pride and makes him exceeding jealous of all outside interference. Moreover, in his preaching no one is allowed to contradict him. No matter what he says, the congregation sits dumb and acquiescing. Bitter protests may rise in the hearers' hearts, but they fall back dead, strangled in the silence. If laymen were allowed today the privileges they enjoyed in the time of Jesus, and could say to ministers, as they said to him right in the midst of the sermon, You are crazy! What do you mean by that? Church decorum would be badly mangled, but the minister would be saved from a temptation which like a beast now crouches at his door. The practice of presenting to people instruction on a variety of subjects, without fear of open contradiction, is apt to beget in any man who is not constantly on his guard a temper which Shakespeare takes off in the lines, I am Sir Oracle, and when I open my lips let no dog bark. It is this immunity from contradiction on the Lord's Day which renders many a minister so difficult to live with through the week. He cannot suffer opposition at any point in the entire circle of church administration. To differ from him is spiritual treason, to oppose him in any of his movements is to be a son of Bilal. It is this stripe of man who wants to run a church. He is sure to meet laymen who want to run it too, and then. But a church cannot be run by anybody except to its destruction. A church is an organism, and like all organisms it refuses to be run. It will grow if carefully nourished and guided, but to run it is to wreck it. It is as delicate as a lily, and as dependent on the law of freedom. The earth does not run the lily. It holds the lily tenderly by its roots, and then gives it largest liberty to unfold in obedience to that mystic genius with which the lily is endowed. A church must receive nourishment from the preacher, but it is not for him to determine the shape of each petal or the precise length of its stem, or to change the figure. A church is a family, and a family cannot be run. Some men try to do it, and the result is a tragedy which shows itself in the face of the wife and the disposition of the children. 
one can run a hotel but not a home that home is happiest in which there is least visible constraint and most spontaneity and affection a machine may be run but not a household a business enterprise but not a church some men now in the ministry were evidently intended for engineers or managers of railroads and trusts they cannot free themselves from the conviction that the church is a machine which they are to run along a track of their own devising to the destruction of every obstreperous layman who gets in their way a church is a family and wise is the minister who is content to let it grow it is for him to create the atmosphere in which the lovely things of the spirit shall come to their best estate from him must come much of the energy by which the church fulfills the law of its being but he will often do most when to onlookers he seems to be doing least happy is the man who has the faculty of so inspiring his church with the spirit of freedom and service that while he himself stands in the background the church apparently moves of itself into enlarging circles of spiritual culture and achievement it is a fatal blunder for a minister to make the decalogue and his own wishes equally binding on the consciences of his people a preacher ought to prize with all diligence the men who differ from him and make use of their gifts up to the level of his opportunity every church ought to have in it men of all types of dispositions and temper and opinion and culture and politics and theology no one type ought to be suppressed in the interest of deadening uniformity or for the purpose of securing universal harmony with the preacher it is the business of a minister to make his church roomy he must be the friend of the radical and of the conservative of the orthodox and the heretic of the zealous and the phlegmatic of the sane and the crotchety of the popular and the friendless of the man who is with him and the man also who is against him making himself all things to all men that he may do them good for him to drive out the men who do not agree with his theology or politics or refuse to fall in with his favorite enterprises is to rob the church of its virility and originality and cripple it hopelessly in the work it aims to do a minister must learn to labor and submit cromwell's dictum is well worth remembering in yielding there is wisdom even a good man is not infallible and the stars will not fall from heaven though the preacher fails to get his way the things which a church ought to have will come to it not by pushing but by waiting horace bushnell late in life said that could he live his life over again he would never push the fable of the sun and wind making a wager as to their ability to compel a traveller to remove his cloak is not without significance for the man who would deal successfully with men the minister who in order to induce his people to throw off habits or notions which he does not like converts himself into a cold northeaster filling sunday mornings with his icy blasts will not succeed in the thing which he aims at and may possibly blow himself out of the pulpit end of chapter fifteen